This episode is going to be concluding from the last conversation that I had with Rune Rasmussen on his work with the Nordic Animism Calendar. And in this uh, this one, we're going to be talking more about the animism side. Um, so, yeah, here we go. The idea of Nordic animism is it, it sort of plays into a little bit of a, uh, a space that you find on the uh, if you look in the right places on the internet today, where there, there there is these kind of spaces where there are people who are thinking about well, they're thinking about transformation of culture, they're thinking about uh, traditional knowledge. How can we sort of reinvent? contemporary human culture to address climate breakdown? How can we uh, uh, reflect on indigeneity and ancestrality and all these things? And there's a huge sort of, um, there's a lot of in, like intelligence and really smart thinkers and, and people uh, developing these ideas at the moment. Charles Eisenstein, Graham Harvey, uh, the, the guy I mentioned before, Tyson Juncker-Porter, uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer and Anishinaabe Scala uh, and and so on and so forth. Um, there, there's a number of them, and so Nordic animism, as animism was sort of inspired by this way of saying, okay, so let us reflect with uh, traditional knowledge or our traditional background in order to, or let's not think about it as a part as a distant past uh, that we think about with nostalgia or with antiquarian interest of hmm, uh, history, but let's try to bring it in and try to use it for contemporary uh, environmentalist reflection, right? Um, so, uh, so I, what, I basic, what I basically thought was to, to, to look at all the things in history that we have chosen to not be us. <laughs> and, you know, human culture works like this. It chooses what we are. Like one example, uh, you probably know a lot of English people, right? You're, you're Welsh yourself, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, but you probably know a lot of English people. So the English, they have formed their identity in the, during the, the 20th uh, century uh, by um, uh, very much in, the, in relation to the Second World War. We all know that the English played... Important, you might even say, heroic role in stemming back Hitler, right? Uh, so this has to find how the uh, the English understand themselves. But and in that choice, they're choosing stuff to. They're also choosing stuff to not be them. For instance, the uh, the royal house uh, in uh, the English royal house. I think they 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 uh, descend from Germans, most of them. I, th yeah. I think uh, I think Queen Victoria's first language was German. I think they, they, I think they changed their name to House of Windsor in the early 20th century and they were called, I don't know, Habenschnudensneiden, something that was called, that, that was the same as some German airplane that was bombing the poor English. So, uh, so these are aspects of English connection that they basically think, okay, that's not what we choose to identify with. So this is just an example of people choosing to identify with something, something that's also important, and then other sides are there saying, okay, so this is not so important for us. Now, if we, you, you look at that over a period of a thousand years, there's a lot of stuff that we chose to not be us, 
At some point we chose, okay, so we're going to be Christians. Then we created a counter image. That means that we are not crazy savages who uh, throw 1960s uh, uh, American babes into uh, volcanoes anymore, right? So sometimes so we produce some slightly stereotype image, image to other that thing that we're choosing not to be, right? So at some point we choose to be Protestants. That means that we are not papists anymore who are, uh, and then some crazy stereotype image come of what it means to be a Catholic. At some point, people choose to be Democrats. That means that we're not tyrannical uh, despots anymore. And we don't, uh, and, and, and these images that other, that, that create the other image of what we're not, they're not necessarily particularly pre- precise. If you go back to a monarchical uh, state, you'll also find that they would say, well, the monarchy protects us against tyr- tyrannical despots. They, they would probably have been saying that, right? But uh, so in that package of stuff that we chose to not be us, <laughs> in that stuff is a lot of goodies, a lot of, yeah, people having ritual sex on Bronze Age rock carvings and putting on monster masks and running around, you know, the the, the, the village with a huge phallus poking at the girls or uh, brewing sacred beer and getting pissed drunk and, and so on. There's a, there's a lot of... Of amazing, well, I don't know why I mentioned just those examples, <laughs> but but there's a lot of uh, of amazing, nice hippie stuff in that box, uh, and um, and Nordic animism is a way of saying, let's look at the stuff that we didn't choose, and bring out the animists parts, those parts that are about relating us in a in an organically alive way with uh, the world around us. And that means that it's also a way of uh, reproducing or re-engaging pre-Christian Nordic religion, which is because it is an attempt to do that, but it's very different than, for instance, doing scholarship, where I'm sitting in my chair, I'm looking at something that's different, and I'm just trying to describe it. Or it's different from... um, uh, some of those people who practice heathenry uh, that that are they're looking at a very specific period and saying the stuff I'm interested in is only the stuff that's inside that period there. When you look at animism, uh, take the, nor- the the animism perspective, then you can engage stuff that has a potential, for instance, a ritual potential for or a a potential to create relation to something. When the Swedish had uh, celebrate. Saint Eric uh, on uh, May 18th, then that is a concrete date. So if you if you use like I described before with the calendar, this Afro-Caribbean way of thinking when you're thinking about Saint Eric and Frey, then all of a sudden you have a day when you can celebrate Frey. Well, we have a holiday all of a sudden that wasn't there before. Um, so so uh, so it's a way of of sort of blowing up the borders of that defines what you can take and what you can use and uh and 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 I think also perhaps making some pointers in the direction of how you can then use it because uh, or how to to uh, engage it so yeah uh so for instance uh I became the anchor person of 
actually starting to re-engage a traditional animist holiday around Yule, where we, I basically said, well, let's be inspired by the way that the campus Lauf is globalizing today and spreading all over the place. There's a huge campus event going on in England, by the way, in Whitby. I don't know if you, you, you're aware of that. It, it, it would be in the I'm diff- not aware of that. Excuse me? I don't know if it'll be happening this year, but if it is, I'll, uh, I'll try it, and go along. I think, it, I think it will be happening. Uh, it's yeah. it's in, in the northern part of England. I don't think it's so far from York. Um, yeah. Oh, I know where Whitby is. I'm just yeah. I'm just uh, curious as to whether or not it'll be allowed to happen. But if it's allowed to, then I'll. I'll I, I think that I think they're turning it down a little bit this year because it, yeah. they've been doing it for seven years and it's becoming really a big thing. And I really wanted to go and see it. I mean, I would I would go there more than I want to go to see a campus run run in in, in Austria because of that. I I think the way the these these guys in Whitby are doing it is just so it's so brilliant the way they're doing it. Anyway. So this campus idea, which is a crazy animus festival that's very alive, it's very contemporary, while also sort of reflecting practices that sound like what this Emperor Constantine wrote about the Swedish Varangian warriors in, in, in the 10th century. You know, uh, it's going global today. And then I thought, okay, so let me try to catch that uh, ball and make it happen in, in, in Denmark in, uh, in the form of the Nordic Yule Goat then. So this is, this is a way of saying, okay, there are motives that are uh, that have a ritual potency, that have a potential for engagement, that have a potential for relating to the turning of the year. And they might not, for instance, be heathen. They might not be pre-Christian. They might come from they, they might come from, uh, uh, some of it might come from Ukraine and some of it might come from Wales and some of it might come from, and, and, but if you, if you bring these practices together, then you are reigniting those fundamental, uh, aspects that are basically the driving force of those kind of rituals. And then you are creating, you're putting those things back into life. So, and I've, I've been doing this Yule Goat run in Copenhagen now for three years um, and the last year, man, it was really big. It, I, I'm absolutely certain it'll be a huge thing. Um, so, uh, so that that's that's just one concrete example of how to take this animist idea and sort of put it into practice in in creating a cultural event that will potentially be part of basically shaping this culture and saying, okay, so this is part of our culture. It comes from our past. It's things that we chose. Ah, this is not us. The Yule goat has disappeared in Denmark. Let's take it back and see if it works. It probably still works. It's just about people, you know, getting shit faced and, and being a little bit crazy around Christmas. They're doing that every way. Anyway, it's going to work. It's going to work. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that, 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 you know, that is the, that's the most uh, fundamental point of it is to be just doing things and having fun. Like, you know, we can, you know, there's absolutely nothing to stop people from starting new traditions and having fun. Yeah. I, I personally believe um, it's very important to have rituals in life to break from the mundane. Um, mm. Like say for the last few years, we've been, we've been getting together around uh know around the the winter solstice as well and we've been doing a, a something different with than uh than taking the horse head around people's houses because if we did that here now to to the inhabitants of Chandidno 
like a lot of a lot of people that live in Llandudno, Llandudno is a little bit different from the rest of uh, the North Wales because there's a lot of really old English people that come here to die, basically, okay. uh, because it's a really nice place to be. So uh, so people move here. Uh, like the, the the promenade in town, for instance, is known as God God's waiting list. Um, so if I took a horse head round here and I started uh, <laughs> knocking on people's doors and singing in Welsh, people aren't going to have a bloody clue what I'm doing. So what we do instead is, is we just have Might a party. Might be dangerous for you. <laughs> Probably. They call the police. Uh, so we just get together and have um, we have our own party. Uh, and and again, we uh, well, I actually usually brew uh, a shitload of mead and and we uh well the last two times we've we've done it in a cave and people have gotten very drunk and there's been there's been some accidents so uh maybe this time we're going to do it in a safer environment somehow because <laughs> <laughs> we it's getting a little bit too traditional <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, you're starting to have people's head chopped or chopped off and stuff like that wouldn't that be very kind of very celtic thing to do like <laughs> well yeah yeah actually so i don't think dan will mind me saying this uh but but my friend uh uh dan farrand he 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 drank quite a lot of my mead as many other people did now lots of people fell over because it was dark we were <laughs> And all of this, but he fell over particularly badly, and he okay. left. He left a bit of blood on the floor, and uh, then then he uh, he had to go get some stitches, and he was totally fine. Everything's cool, uh. um, but but then he got a phone call uh, because his van was was at the bottom of the hill, and he got a you know he had his his company name on the on the van, and someone reported this, so he had a call from the police the next day. Saying that someone had been up and found us all doing all of this with a fire, they found blood, and there was a there was a couple of skulls around and things, and people were asking, "Were you sacrificing humans?" And Dan was like, "No, oh, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't do, no, we wouldn't do that ever." <laughs> I loved crazy. like the fact that they waited for the next day as well and followed oh, so, it up. Like, so are you, so like, are you, are you Are you sacrificing humans? <laughs> oh no! Don't worry. It, was, it wasn't. It wasn't human skulls. It was just horse skulls. It's like, oh, that's fine then. But uh, you know, <laughs> that reminds me of a time I was uh, arriving in Sweden, and they, uh, I, for some reason, the police uh, searched my bag, and then he looked at me and he asked, uh, "So, are you bringing anything illegal? Uh, any drugs or anything?" Not. Uh, I think he said narcotics. And I was like. What? No. <laughs> and it was like he asked in like this friendly, normal way. I so are you? Are you trying to smuggle any narcotics into our country? <laughs> and no. Just, just really politely. Then you, you definitely can just if you have them, of course, of course. Yeah. Since you asked nicely. <laughs> oh, but cool. uh, yeah, the uh, it's definitely uh, important, you know. I've realized after these events it you know there has to be just a little bit of health and safety involved. I don't want my friends to die. No. But uh <laughs> no. <laughs> I I think I, I think these kind of events and and rituals I think it's it's a little bit of a tendency today that that people are sort of um in different ways in many different ways looking for these uh sort of yeah ancestrality inflected sort of situations and and uh and and there are many scales i mean this is you and your friends uh but if you look at something like the Midgard's blood is is a huge event 
that is basically located at ancient sacred sites and mm. which has this whole uh, a mix between something that's really contemporary this uh, metal music there and and then uh, then this the, the the whole Viking thing and stuff like that I mean that's one example and 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 I think there are many, uh, many more examples of these sort of things emerging in, in different ways. Um, as I said, one one of these kinds of events that I would really like to see is the is the Whitby uh, Compass Run. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, I think the um, uh, the fire festivals in Edinburgh uh, is, is also these are kind of. I mean, of course, these are these are events that are much bigger than 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 your uh, your ritual around a fire fire in the cave with the friends. And it's not it's not to disregard what you're doing. That's oh, of course, too yeah. real. But I'm just trying to say there's like there's a general tendency that people want to find these, yeah, um, ancestrality focused rituals somehow, uh, or want to invent it or drive towards inventing, um, yeah. Well, I think, like, as well as that, like, say, you know, the idea of creating new traditions within the realm of what we're talking about, a good example of it is, is you know, uh, Nordic tattooing. Whether it, yeah. whether tattooing was or wasn't practiced in the Viking Age, you can argue about all day, but it doesn't change that it has, it's become a living tradition yeah. now. Totally, uh, totally. Yeah. Which, uh, you know... The, Shows that it can be done. Yeah, I think I think it's an awesome example you're bringing there. Awesome, awesome example. A tattoo, uh, of course, you're a tattooist yourself, so so it's a uh, and uh, but uh, uh, there's something about changing your body that is very fundamentally culturally charged. When you change your body, you're doing something also to your individual, to your subjectivity somehow, right? And uh, and this means that that this huge tendency to inscribe uh i mean i would say inscribe ancestrality on your body in that way is uh is definitely it has some sort of of uh ritual potency in it um i think there's um there's this amazing woman called maya sia luke do you, do you know the name it's uh, um the inuit tattooist i'm I've heard of her, okay, but I, I have not. I can't think of her work off the top of my yeah. head. I'm, I'm a bit now, embarrassed to say that, but yeah. Now she basically she basically sat down and looked at gazillions of ancient photos and drawings of Inuit people who used to be tattooing themselves quite a lot, uh, and she just made uh, huge uh, uh, compilations of the documenting basically the traditional work, and then she started doing it. Now she was she was a tattooist, uh, tattoo artist uh, by education herself, and she figured out what you know what they used to do was they used to tattoo with a needle. So they would take a thread and put I think ashes on it or mm. something. I, I don't know the details. And then basically sew uh, inside the, the the skin, and that way get the color inside the right depth in the skin. Uh, so she started doing that, and. And then she has basically, and she thinks about this as a process of cultural healing. 
so these people, the Inuits in, in different parts of the northern um, circle there around the Act, many of them have been colonized quite harshly and uh, uh, and they've been Christianized and they've lost a lot of their traditional culture. But now this tattooing is, is a huge trend. In, in Greenland, for instance, which has uh, uh, ties to Denmark, um, it's a huge trend, this, this tattooing, and it's spreading around the, the Inuit sphere. So in Alaska and all these places, people are doing uh, traditional tattooing uh, again. And, as, and like, like this is one person who has basically taken this up again, and, and it takes a different shape now. Now it's very much about, I think it's very much about Inuit identity, I think before it was considered uh, very much about beauty and it was something that women did. But today men also do it. And it's it's about, for instance, uh, Inuit pride or uh, stuff like that. So, uh, uh, and I think these this whole idea of changing something about yourself and then there is a cultural healing inside that, I think it's very um, sort of present or perhaps even a motor for this uh, enormous trend of tattooing. Um, I have to say on that on that note, uh, um, I because I, I I agree. I do think it's wonderful that that has been returned, you know, to uh, to Greenland. And I've I want to search deeper into the the origins of uh, of that movement because I believe that um, Constable Croppen had had uh, an input in in all of that as well. Um, but regardless of uh, of that, because uh, I I don't know enough about it to talk about it. Um, but it but you know what we can say is it is wonderful that the the tradition is returning, and that's something that that I really want to try and bring back to the Celtic lands of what we call the Celtic lands: uh, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Cornwall, Brittany. That the the whole thing that happened with tattooing in the nineties, I personally consider is a bit of a bastardization of the the artworks like crossing it over with that spiky 90s tribal uh for me has really i I personally feel like it you know there were some wonderful tattoos from that time period but most of it was as bad as those tiny horrible tattoo um holiday tattoos that, that were getting done at the time and the 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 true uh beauty of the art styles yeah, is yeah. It comes with a mark of shame now, like oh, just a like a horrible nineties tattoo. Yeah. Where like if you look at the Book of Kells, for instance, or you look at the artwork from you know uh, uh, from the Iron Age of Britain, it is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, and it does. It's not getting the recognition that it deserves because it comes with with a lot of baggage that I would, you know, I, I'm not trying to. Uh, I, I I don't think they. I don't. I don't think anyone can get rid of that baggage that comes with it, um, uh, other than the fact that it just needs to be portrayed better in its true form. Of yeah. its, you know, of taking away all of that. Yeah, yeah. That uh, you know, the uh, the spiky tribal elements of it. And... But may I ask: is, is the spiky tri- tribal elements are they? Is that also associated with the uh, Latin style? Oh God, no, no, no. no exactly. Because when I think about Celtic. Yeah, yeah, I, I have it a little bit in, in the back of my mind, the, the, this 90s sort of uh, thing. But but when I think about Celtic th- 
style. The first thing I think is Latin, and that is incredibly oh, yeah. beautiful and like almost otherworldly sort of surrealist feeling to it, while also having aspects of symmetry and um, and uh, what do you say um, spirals and so on. Like yeah. imagine facial tattoos in in a Maori imitating Latin build or something like that. that would well, that awesome. is. Not necessarily like just going straight for doing face tattoos of that stuff, but it is actually my dream to get to do more of uh, of that type of Celtic tattooing, yeah, yeah. Uh, of just Celtic artwork all the way through the the ages of what we call Celtic art, because I feel it's getting it's not getting the recognition it deserves yeah. compared to like because I'm sure you know by now I, I I love Nordic artwork you know from from all of that. Um, but it's it is getting a lot of recognition, you know. Um, whereas the Celtic stuff is currently, it's a it's it's a bit in the shadows at the moment because it comes with with the idea of just been like a, you know what it was in the nineties, I think. Yeah. But like you know, for for people that don't know what the the Latin stuff looks like, uh, you can find it on say, um, if you look up Celtic Iron Age mirrors then you'll see some of the stuff we're looking for. You can look it up on Google. Yeah. But the patterns, more than anything, like they are incredibly intricate. There are faces within them, and there's, there's uh, animals hidden within the swirls. And more than anything, it looks like oil in water yeah. that's been yeah. disrupted. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it, it takes great skill and precision and, and um, uh, what do you call it? Symmetry. Yeah. and asymmetry as well yeah, yeah. and um, but that's the thing is obviously i'm ranting about this a lot now you know that's what's so wonderful about about scandinavian artwork as well is the, also this idea of how all the way through uh you know the scandinavian stuff before it became truly you know just fell into christendom when the last remnants of um uh the uh of the last viking art styles left um it it had a psychedelic feel to it, yeah. you know, yeah. something otherworldly. Yeah. Which, because uh, I I am terrible for comparing uh, the Celtic artwork and the Nordic stuff. You could argue that there was some links, very very you know, tenuous links between stuff or whatever. But you know, mostly it's separate. But all in all, it's very trippy. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, I personally yeah. think that that reflects it reflects a, a mindset as well of the people. It was it was to be meditated upon. It wasn't easy to understand, yeah. and it wasn't supposed to be easy. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I've always, yeah. But I, well, actually, I haven't <laughs> reflected that much about it. But I well, let me say, I have thought that this there's something about. Um, there's something about connectedness in this whole thing that things are uh, interlaced. There's something that there's something about um, uh, there's something about animacy, the world as a web of powers that is somehow aesthetically connected. There's also something about um, certain powers, certain uh, powers actually being bound. So there's the, 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 these monsters, dragons that are perhaps in this interlacing, they're being controlled somehow. Um, there's a specific, uh, there's a specific um, trend in 
uh, early Christian Sweden uh, with the rune stones, where you see this, you always see almost the same structure. There's a circle or or a enclosure that is formed by a, a serpent-like uh, Urnes-style headed thing that ends in what looks like a shape of eight, and that goes into a cross of sorts. Uh, and there's a couple of them where my favorite favorite is definitely the one called the Ockelbor Stone, where this cross isn't a cross, but basically an Yggdrasil shape. So you almost have a Nilhook shape that meets the Yggdrasil at the bottom. And it is as if the Yggdrasil, the, the principle of life uh, and connectedness, controls, almost binds the destructive principle of the, the, the serpent while also perhaps channeling its power somehow. There's, there's this kind of interdependence between the, the, uh, the controlling principle uh, and the, the, uh, the potentially very destructive principle. Uh, and I think this, these in, all these interlacings that we see so much they they carry in them somehow i think a feeling at least i mean it's not you, you can't necessarily always interpret it as directly as i'm doing now with these swedish uh stone right uh, that's just an example <laughs> but but i think this this feeling of uh bound aesthetically bound monstrosity interlaced in with harmony somehow says something about the chaotic, dangerous sides of the world not being separate from, uh, but somehow in a negotiated connection with the uh, the ordered, well-ordered and harmonious world. Yeah. 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 I think that's how I see it. <laughs> um. I, well, it's, 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 um, it's a reoccurring theme within, you know, like the, uh, the, the Viking artwork and, Stuff from from you know that that period a little bit before and and after as well of no no sorry I'm going to reword that it's a reoccurring thing within the Viking Age of the idea of of the uh, the great beast sharing its uh, its canvas that it's on with with a smaller creature that that's all uh, laid within it as well and you got to wonder. If, if if that has a similar meaning, but regardless of of the meaning behind some of this iconography, um, as you say, there you know there is the overall feeling to something as well that the, the artists are always going for that it's 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 not necessarily what just what you see, but it's 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 the uh, it's mm. the aesthetic feeling that comes across the whole thing as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend, by the way, for um, understanding or not understanding, but it, thoughts to suggest understandings of some of this. And this might be very evident, something you already thought about as the twoist and so on. But the um, British scholar Graham Harvey, who wrote this wonderful book about animism called uh, Animism, uh, Respecting the Living World, there's a chapter in that one about Maori art. Uh, and he talks about how spirals are representing um, kind of creative and destructive forces that are inter, uh, interconnected in, in Maori uh, cosmology. And like when, now we're talking about Latin style uh, and these sort of very abstract expressions where there are um, uh, organic yet 
symmetrical round things looking like oil and water and stuff like that i i i would when i look about at, at that kind of stuff i'm I, I get i associate that with this kind of maori thinking about spirals um that there there could have been similar thinkings behind it um yeah but yeah, I agree. this is of course it's just speculation i think that it's one of those those things like you know that um, so obviously like th this is your job, uh, of, of what, you know, of what you do, but I'm going to try and word it probably very badly, but the idea that, um, there's, so as, as creatures, we put things into certain logics and certain forms that we, we can tolerate in a, even like, let alone like a, like, so say music, there's, and you know, ridiculous amounts of uh, calculations of different types of music we can make but at the end of the day we stick to a particular few because that's what speaks to us and it's like that with art as well so mm. the idea of spirals um i think you know the the concept of the yin and the yang that you know that comes in so much into into celtic art but i think that you know there's the, the certainly spirals within the yeah. Nordic stuff as well, and I personally feel yeah. like there's you know there's a there's an approach of balance within within these because that's aesthetically mm. what people go for. So I've been talking with Luciano about this, like about the idea that within you know um, within uh, this Nordic art that they do have a different aesthetic approach to words because there's a vocabulary that's been built up as a tradition. Of things that they do, uh, which makes Viking art Viking art. Um, mm. But but even so, when people see it now, they know nothing about this sort of um, a language understanding of uh, of of uh, you know of what uh, people that have studied it will have. But it still speaks mm. to them. Yeah, and they and that's what's so impressive is after mm. a thousand years or so that it's yeah. still has great potential. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and and uh, and some of it, some of it must speak in a way. Some of, it, I mean, some stuff is so evidently beautiful. And now, for instance, we just spoke about the Latin, uh, which is very abstract, right? Uh, it's difficult to. It's difficult not to. It's, let me say, it's difficult not to imagine that that kind of aestheticism wouldn't have appeared. Uh, in a very similar way, uh, in in the time that that would have been made. I mean, because it's, a, oh, it's so intuitively, it's so intuitive and direct, you know. And yeah, there's the spirals also in the Nordic. I, I actually have um, uh, sometimes thought about that some of you artists, uh, some of you tattoo artists, you should really uh, try to look at some of those uh, Bronze Age, uh, Bronze Age uh, spiral styles that you find in in Scandinavia, where you just have incredible amounts of spirals um i don't know maybe it would be too uniform for for, for tattooing uh, i don't know but but uh, you have they have like well i would love to do that just cover <laughs> case tiny of... spirals and um uh, it's 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 amazing like you know i've seen those as well like how intricate and how perfect all those spirals are on the, the decorations I I can't see how they do it, but the, how much time it would take. And yes, I would love to tattoo it if anyone wants to come to me to have it done. 
but uh, you know, I'm not yeah. the one that gets to choose what I tattoo most of the time. So, okay, <laughs> yeah, no, but, I, no, I can. Oh, that yeah. But that is a uh, yeah. I do think there's something to that though, and it is again, it is something that really plays on our eyes and it makes us think differently. Yeah, totally, totally. So alongside having the calendar that's coming out this year then, um, which we'll uh, share a link of where that can be found, you've also gonna, you're going to have a book that goes alongside it that people can just buy once then and have all of this information. Yes, this, this uh, last year we did, um, I guess it could probably be called a pilot of the, this calendar, which is really a way of trying to make these forms of traditional knowledge available available for people in their in their daily lives so they can write uh, here's my uh, dog's birth my dog rex's birthday and uh, well tomorrow it's the uh, veteran uh, alpha blood uh, <laughs> celebration right <laughs> so um and uh and the way that we did it uh, now is that we have a calendar that you can put on the wall a little bit like there are naked girls in the mechanic's house, but this is just like nice Nordic art on the theme runes that, <laughs> that we have uh, on, the, on the wall calendar. And then there, there is a book that explains all the weird stuff, all the runic calendar and the primstaff symbols that refers to loony solar <laughs> holidays that were practiced in the pre-Christian period and all that stuff. So there's a little book called The Nordic Animus Year, which basically uh, introduces uh, this stuff, and it can also stand alone as just a general introduction to to uh, Nordic seasonal animism and uh, calendar tradition. Oh, that's nice. So, just as well as that, then um, people can find you on on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yep, I have a, I have a platform on Facebook uh, called Nordic Animism. I have a YouTube channel where I'm ranting about all kinds of stuff i have a homepage called naughty animism and uh, i also have a uh, bit of space on instagram but i'm not so good at using that but uh, i would say check me out on uh, on youtube and facebook primarily all right man well i think that um i think that we will uh leave it at that for them for today thank you so much for your time again you can find uh, the Nordic Animism calendar on the Northern Fire website in the shop and uh, as well as the book so please head over and check it out, it's, it's lovely work and it's certainly worth having thank you <laughs>